Hear that? Believe it or not, summer is just around the corner. Luckily, Armorall, America's most trusted auto appearance brand, has what your car needs to get that perfect summer shine. Plus, now through May 31st, we'll give you $5 for every 20 you spend on Armorall products. That means car wash pods, protectant, tire shine, you name it. Find out how to get your $5 rebate at armorall.com. Armorall, less work, more clean. Terms apply. It's only a kick, a jump, a block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle, a run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. So hello there and welcome to a brand new episode of the DNF1 F1 podcast, the show where we take all of the latest news, gossip and events in the world of Formula One and we relay that back to you for your listening or viewing pleasure, depending on which platform you choose to follow on. And I've got to say guys, an absolutely incredible way to end the summer break, the race that we have just seen and I think it can only be summed up in one phrase and that's que le cose un creab. My French listeners and Canadian followers, obviously, who speak French will know exactly what I'm talking about. But what an incredible race. Eventually won by Esteban Ocon for Alpine. His first win in Formula One, the 100th and 11th winner in the history of Formula One. And, you know, summing this race up with me now, and we're going to try our best to try and sum this up. But a special guest of ours, um, a friend of ours from the Outlap F1 podcast over in the States. Definitely check that out, guys. It's a really good podcast. It is uh, Andy joining with us. Andy, first of all, thanks for coming on the show. And uh, what a time to come on and be a guest and unscramble this episode with me. <laughs> I mean, boy, did we pick it. We pick a good one to do this. Um, I was just I was just saying I've been a Formula One fan for, for over 30 years. I have never seen some of what we saw here today. I'm, I've been ra- racking my brain for the last two hours trying to figure out um, what everything that we just went down. Bonkers, absolutely bonkers race. Um, we have to take a break now. I want more, man. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I completely agree with you. And yeah, you, you have heard us right, guys. You're not tuning in. And this is like a parody. Esteban Ocon for That's Alpine true. has won the Hungarian Grand Prix. And yes, that happened. <laughs> yeah, absolutely insane. I mean, considering where he started on the grid, Andy, um, so far down the order, and obviously the form that he's been in of late, I can't imagine Esther, even Esteban himself would have woken up this morning thinking, I'm going to win this Grand Prix today. I mean, if you can, obviously, you know, being a Formula One fan and a racing fan for so many years, Andy, can you sum up how incredible that race was this afternoon? Well, I mean, 
a lot of times I know we, uh, at least on our podcast, we talk about, you know, the opportunities when they come and who's going to fall on it. The top three teams basically fumbled today and it was Alpine and Esteban Ocon who picked it up. And, and, and well, to you, I'll, I'll use a, a English football term as opposed to an American football term. They scored the open net goal today and they, the opportunity was there and they took it and well done to Esteban because uh, he had to do some mega defending. Uh, you talk about sometimes formula one, you can't ever really defend was not the case here. Mega job of defending from uh, a very spry and, and willing and able combatant in of all people, Sebastian Vettel. Yeah, no, absolutely. And I think, Sebastian Vettel obviously gaining a lot of fans this weekend, more for his wholesomeness and being an incredible human being, as well as an incredibly talented Formula One driver. Um, but of course, we'll get into his story a little bit later on. But um, I, I mean, for me, there's so many stories to take from this Grand Prix. And of course, there's no better place to start than Esteban Ocon, uh, a young man who has had his hardships trying to get into motorsport. Obviously, the sacrifices that he and his family had to make to get him into Formula 1 is an incredible story. And when he first made his debut in Formula 1, uh, I think it was in, uh, trying to remember my years, right? was it 2015, 2016, in the Manor? I think he come late in the, I think his debut was in Cota, wasn't it, at the US Grand Prix? Yeah, he was. Uh, it was one of those backmarker teams. And the, the thing that you, you could tell about him right away was, this was not a short little driver. He's a, he's a tall guy. Um, and I think that even to this day, that's always kind of compromised him. I mean, I think they were even talking earlier this season about in the Alpine, they wanted to redo the chassis because he thought he was sitting up too high in the car. And they thought that, you know, that uh, basically kind of led to some of his lack of form recently, but I mean, just, this is an incredible story. I mean, talk about, you know, everyone said when, once he signed that contract that, um, he basically disappeared. Well, he's back, back in big time. And Alpine um, have, have cashed in mega uh, this weekend. Yeah, no, absolutely right. And of course, um, if, we, if we take our minds back a few years ago, of course, when he was in Racing Point, that battle he had with Sergio Perez all throughout the season, it was one of the huge talking points um, to a degree, of course. And then the story was that he was meant to, at least for the time being, be lined up with a move to Renault a few years ago before, of course, um, Sergio Perez managed to save the team financially at Racing Point, uh, obviously until the consortium led by Lawrence Stroll obviously took over. And then Daniel Ricciardo made the shock move, leaving Red Bull to go to Renault for 2018, which of course left, left Esteban without a seat, left him with uh, in Formula One with uh, at a bit of a crossroads, of course. Will he, won't he with Mercedes for some time? And then, of course, will he get back into Formula One? He eventually did. And of course, all of that summed up leads us to where we are today getting a, a win at the Hungarian Grand Prix. And, and I'll be honest with you, Andy, I think a lot of people were talking about Esteban Ocon for years now as one of the drivers in the future to watch out for. Are we seeing today, more than anything else, um, clear signs that there is still so much talent and potential on this young man's shoulders that perhaps this is, could be a catalyst for him going forward in the future? Well, it's certainly a boost of confidence, if nothing else. I guarantee you that. I mean, he's going to be riding very high into the next couple of races, and rightfully so. Um, but he's always been, the knock on him has always been untapped potential, untapped potential. When were we ever going to see it? Um, we saw it today. Uh, you know, you give some of these guys, and, and it just goes to show a lot of drivers, I think they're misjudged 
because of the fact that you have these dominant cars in the first two or three positions in the championship, um, that these guys never basically get a bite at the apple. Well, when they get a bite at the apple, you saw great racecraft. Heck, you saw Nicholas Latifi have great racecraft today. You saw George Russell have great racecraft today. And Fernando Alonso uh, have great racecraft. And, and we knew that that was always there. But, I mean, Esteban's, I think, was on another level. Um, so this was, I think, the, the potential being, the promise finally meeting the potential, and it paid off big time. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, as you pointed out, every so often we do get a crazy Formula One race like we did today. Um, I think of the Italian Grand Prix last season, of course, that eventually led to another French driver, Pierre Gasly, getting his maiden win in the sport. And it was a very wholesome occasion. Uh, it's one of those moments in sport, I think, if you're romantic about sports with a passion, it really does put everything into perspective and really allows you to appreciate the story that these young men and women, of course, go through every single day to achieve their dreams in the sport at this elite level. And then it, all on one day, everything seems to come together. And as you said, Andy, there's always an opportunity for someone to step up and take the day um, steal the occasion and steal the headlines. And Esteban Ocon was the star today. It was an incredible day for him. Incredible story for the Alpine team, of course, who are looking to try and establish their own identity in the sport. And they certainly did so today. Hopefully for their sake, there may be many more days like that in the future. But let's break this race down bit by bit. I mean, there's no place other than to start at the very, very beginning of this race. And of course, <laughs> half an hour before the race, we were sort of wondering, will the rain come? Won't the rain come? There were rumours saying the rain was going to come at some point in the race. It then surprised everybody um, that the I rain, was tweeting yeah. out radars trying to tell people it was coming. <laughs> I did. I noticed. Um, I, I'm our resident yeah. weather expert on, on our own podcast back in the States. So whenever I say rain is likely and it doesn't come, I get all this guff from all these different places for it. So I'm like, no, it's coming. It's seriously going to come. I promise we're going to get one. And we did. And it certainly did. Yeah. I mean, it left everybody in a bit of a scramble almost. Um, it reminds me of the um, Brazilian Grand Prix. I think it was back in mm -hmm. 2008. And obviously just before the race, the rain hit and everyone was sort of going a bit crazy all over the place, changing tyres, putting on the intermediate tyres, which of course was the right tyre. But then of course we eventually got the race start and that, kind of set off the catalyst for the turn of events that would follow throughout, obviously eventually leading to Ocon winning. And obviously what had happened was, as they were going into turn one, Valtteri Bottas gets stuck behind Lando Norris after a poor getaway, snatches a break, and he's basically aquaplaning into the back of Ocon, which led to a t chain of events, which eventually led to Norris, I should say, not Ocon, um, Bottas hit yeah, Norris. I was going to say, Bottas went into Norris, Norris went into exactly. um, uh, Perez, those uh, all three of those were out. Um, I'm actually watching a replay of it now, believe it or not, as I'm trying to see it. Yeah, Botas yeah. goes into Norris, Norris goes into Perez, Botas then clips Verstappen. Um, and and you know, it was basically pinball formula one going into that corner. So Lando's race effectively over uh at, at about the 590 meter mark of the 600 meters. Uh, he did manage to get the car back to the pits, um, but uh, they could not, even under the red flag. Uh, do enough repairs in order to to fix that car. So he was out, um, and a lot of the the championship contenders and the protagonists that we get used to talking about, uh, their days were done. Yeah, it was such a shame for the likes of Norris, and of course the two Red Bull drivers, as you mentioned, Andy. 
both of them having their races ruined. Perez, of course, his was terminal, as was Norris's. Verstappen was able to continue, but on a very heavily damaged car. And to his credit, probably did a great job to get the points today, must be said, or at least only, I think it was one championship point he ended up scoring at the end, which, of course, could make the difference in this championship. You never know. You never know. I mean, it's the same deal like going for the point for fastest lap. Um, They all add up in the end, and it could be separated. It's that close. I mean, this thing even maybe two, three races ago had really gotten wide between Mercedes and, and uh, uh, Red Bull. Not, not anymore. It, it's way tightened up. Yeah, absolutely. Um, but I mean, for Red Bull, obviously from their perspective, it's going to be very, very hard for them to sort of come to terms with what has happened over the last couple of races. I mean, if we take our minds back to the sprint race at Silverstone, a couple of weeks ago obviously the aftermath of obviously the huge talking points that was going into the, this race which has become almost a bit of a moot point owing to what we've seen today but Red Bull at least as far as Verstappen was concerned was 33 points ahead of Lewis Hamilton going into the main race at Silverstone and of course what happened between them two that collision um, leading to Verstappen retiring and Hamilton managing to take advantage and winning the race after serving his penalty. And then, of course, today, Hamilton managed to recover his race, which, of course, we'll get into a bit later on. But it's now left them in a position where Verstappen was 33 points ahead. He's now six points behind Lewis Hamilton. Andy, on the topic of Max Verstappen, and as I said, there's not much we can talk about with him today, obviously, other than recovering uh, from a very difficult situation. But it must be very, very difficult for Max now to go into the summer break after the season he has had, where to some degree it's hard to look and find many times where Max has pulled a foot wrong this season, and yet probably felt he could have been leading this championship by as much as 50 points. And after what has happened in Baku, which was, of course, that was unfortunate, Silverstone, depends on how you look at it, but unfortunately he wasn't able to get anything from that race. And today, he now finds himself not only not leading this championship, but trying to figure out how he's going to be able to pull himself together to the rest of the season. I mean, I suppose for him, the summer breaks probably come at the right time, but how on earth is Max going to be able to mentally readjust himself to go again? Well, he's going to have to go back and rewatch probably the, the four or five race winning streak. I mean, that's what I would do. I would re-rack those videos and, and put them on and, and, and know fundamentally, I still think the Red Bull car is the slightly faster car. Um, these were two tracks that we just came from in, in the UK and, and here in Hungary that Lewis Hamilton loves. He just loves those tracks. And in spite of the fact that you'd look at this track and you'd say, this is an aero track, this should be Red Bull Haven. Lewis Hamilton has won here eight different times. So you don't do that unless you're kind of at one with this place. Um, so I expected a bit of a pullback. I didn't expect this. I mean, granted, the, we can talk about the whole turn one thing in the UK if you want to. I think it's been legislated enough um, over the course of the last two weeks. And, you know, today, kind of a bit of an own goal by Mercedes, if you really want to look at it and say, um, how do you be the only car not pitting with everybody else there? But um I mean, still just a great recovery drive, I think, in the end, at the end of the day for Lewis to get on the podium, to get P3. And if you're Max, yeah, it's a blow. But I think they reset, re-rack and say, we're still faster. We're now going into two power-hungry tracks. You look at the calendar and you say, okay, these were the two tracks I would have said would have favored Mercedes. If they weren't going to do well in, in, at, uh, in Great Britain and they weren't going to do well in Hungary, 
it was championship over. Now it flips back to Max. We go to Monza. Engine power, Honda engine power, um, mega straight lines. That's where Red Bull's gone ahead. And then you go um, to, uh, or you go, you start at Belgium and it's again, another high power track. And then you go to Monza again, long straights um, should suit Red Bull. I think very, very well. So yeah, it's just a matter of getting the, the head back on right and going again. Yeah. I mean, when we left the, uh, I think it was the Styrian race. Uh, a lot of people were saying that that Red Bull potentially is as much as three or four tenths of a second faster than Mercedes in Max Verstappen's hands. It certainly seems that Mercedes have closed that gap with the new batch of upgrades that they brought onto that car to a point now where in Lewis Hamilton's hands, at least it's more than capable of beating Max in a Red Bull. Um, of course, we'll have to wait and see how this transpires in the other races. But I think what is key about this championship battle now, Andy, is Lewis will certainly, uh, you know, count his lucky stars to a degree. I think he's I think it's fair to say he's been able to benefit for some good fortune. It's probably been needed uh, in this championship, given how brilliant Max and Red Bull have been up to a point. But now we're approaching the second half of the season between these two. And historically, Hamilton usually goes up to another level in the second half of the season. So to overcome a championship deficit that he's faced this season so quickly, it must be said that Lewis probably will fancy his chances in the second half of the season to sort of consolidate this lead and perhaps at the very least try and hold on to it for as long as he can. Again, it's going to depend on what Max Verstappen does in the second half of the season. The good news for Max, though, is that, as you said, Andy, we are going to go to Belgium next after the summer break. So four weeks' time, we're going to go to Spa. We're then going to go to Zandvoort after that. So two home Grand Prix, if you like, for Max Verstappen. So that could prove to be the perfect With, with a home crowd. I mean, he mm. will have some unreal support. I mean, I'm hoping for no booing, but I'm... Do you know what? I'm, I'm actually going to ask you about this, Andy, because I'm quite intrigued to get a, a non-British perspective on the booing that we've seen, particularly thrown mostly at Lewis Hamilton the last couple of races. Um, how do you see that going now? Because I know, obviously, you know, if you follow other sports, you're used to hearing certain fans that are partisan to certain sports, men and women. They tend to boo the, the, those that they're up against for whatever reason. I'm never really a big fan of it, but I've heard a lot of that in the past in other sports, so I'm not surprised to hear it in Formula One. But what is your take on it? Are you, do you feel that it's necessary or do you feel that... It's just a part of the sport and we have to accept it. I, I have I have literally sometimes uh, uh, two different minds on it. One is if you've bought, here, here's my American side coming through. If you've bought a ticket to a race or a, a sporting event, you have the right to express yourself within limits um, as you want. As a racing fan and what a podium and what that is that moment is designed and has been designed to be, I don't like booing it because the podium is supposed to be a celebration of the race we just saw and the fact that everybody hopefully has come home safe. That's really what it, it fundamentally what it's supposed to be. So I don't like booing in that part of it. And when that happens, I always cringe a little bit. But again, I go back to if you've bought your ticket and you want to show a dis displeasure towards a team or a driver again within limits. When you, when you take it to certain aspects and, you know, you, you start doing things that are blatantly racist or, or anything else, I'm not, no, 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 out, you, you're gone, as far as I'm concerned. Security can, can meet you at the parking lot, as far as I'm concerned. Um, but, yeah, I mean, that's kind of where I'm at. Uh, you know, again, as a sporting fan, I, I get it and I understand it. But as a race fan, that podium, that to me is almost a sacrosanct type of thing. I wouldn't do it then. You want to do it when the drivers are introduced? 
that's no problem with me. Yeah, no, I think I probably would say, yeah, you've summed it up pretty pretty much as well as anyone could have done, Andy, to be honest. I mean, it's not something I'm surprised to hear and see, but there obviously is within limits. And of course, the fans, when you buy a ticket like that, you want to express your passion in a way. Of course, you are entitled to do that. But there are limits to you know, how far you can go and, of course, the reasons for it. And as you mentioned, nobody should tolerate any form of discrimination, whether that be racism, sexism or um, sexual orientation of of all kinds. And that that shouldn't be tolerated in sport at all. And, you know, I still feel that there is a certain community of people in the minority, of course, that don't appreciate this, that aren't real fans of this sport and don't belong here for different reasons. I mean, we should stress that one of the arguments I see on social media in the UK is a lot of it seems to be directed toward Lewis Hamilton. And in a way that's kind of true. Um, but he's not the only person that has, res- that has been booed no. at in formula one. I remember very, very, va- uh, very vividly, I should say, not vaguely um, in the, I think it was a British Grand Prix 2014. I believe Hamilton won that race and he was talking to Mark Webber on the podium and he was saying to him, um, you know, the British crowd, they're really, really good. We don't really get much booing. And this is obviously reference to a few races in the past. And then as soon as the mic was handed over to Nico Rosberg, you heard a loud chorus of boos that followed towards him. Obviously, you know, it's equally not appropriate. And, you know, something we don't really want to hear. And I think you're right. These drivers risk their lives for our entertainment. And I think on the podium as the San Crescent, as you mentioned, they deserve that level of respect and appreciation. You know, no one wants to hear that. We want a clean, fair fight between two of the best drivers in the world right now and the best machinery. And that's always the best thing. And hopefully we're going to get that. So it's going to be interesting to see how this championship unfolds. But I think... Let's go back to the race itself, because obviously we don't want to turn this into a Hamilton versus Verstappen episode. The big star today, Esteban Ocon, and we'll get back to him in just a moment. But you mentioned earlier, Andy, about the restart of the race. Of course, after the crash, Bottas and Lance Stroll, let's not forget Stroll, of course, taking taking out Leclerc and, of course, damaging Ricardo's car and amongst other things as well. So um, both of those two have received five-place grid penalties for the next race. And I know some people saying... Uh, Some people have been mentioning about, are the penalties fair? Should we just let it go? But I think, in my mind, when you compromise other drivers' race to a point where you take them out of the race, whilst it being a lap one incident, I think you have to give some level of penalty. Um, But I think a five-place one is probably fair. I mean, how did you see it, Andy? Did you think that was the right call? I hate to to go completely 180 on you, but I, (laughs) I believe that lap one is when you're supposed to be able to get your elbows out. And I look at what happened to Botas and he's a passenger. He didn't, he doesn't necessarily, he got a bad start. Lando got him off the start. Lando comes across his, his face um, and basically then removes all the air. He had no air on his front wing when that happened. And Botas hits the brakes. The brakes don't have enough air force down into the track. And he's a passenger. And it's, it, and, and look, I'm wearing the Lando hat. I'm the biggest Lando fan in the world. I, 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 he could have won that race today if it hadn't have been for, for what happened at lap one. I, I honestly think that, um, but that's racing and that's, and stuff happens in racing. And I, I don't want to have the FIA then trying to make it right in the end. It was already done. I mean, Botas was out of the race. There's no, there's no reason in piling on. He's already got, it, it's almost, it was almost self-governed in that case. Cause they're going to have to change Mercedes going to have to change that engine, rebuild the chassis, all that stuff. Um, and yeah, it, it, it frankly sucks for my team today. Um, but uh, yeah, I would rather, I would rather less governance in that instance because it is lap one. 
I mean, I don't know what happened to Stroll. I, I would actually have to want to go back and watch more about what happened to him and what caused it. But I saw Botas's onboard. He's a passenger. Well, strangely enough, um, you, you know, I, I mean, I'm probably going to have to agree to disagree on that one. The only reason I would say that is because, um, yeah, you're right. Lando did come across Bottas quite suddenly, which caused him to come off the throttle a little bit. But he then decided to go forward again. And I think at that point when he committed to keep going forward on the accelerator, everyone started to break. Obviously, they took their time into turn one. Hamilton was quite careful. So was Verstappen Perez. Norris just to avoid aquaplaning. And I think in that instant moment, Bottas had already committed to going forward a bit. And it just, it happens in a second. And at that point, you can't react. You're right. Bottas was a bit of a passenger at that point. But I think, as I said, leaning towards why I think a five-place penalty is appropriate is because despite that, unfortunate moment where things changed against him and of course it caused him to lock his brakes a bit in aquaplane and he was a bit of a passenger what resulted was uh, at least three of the drivers ahead of him having their races ruined to a degree um, two of which obviously terminally and I don't think you can leave that unpunished hence why I think they gave him a penalty for that um, if you're the other teams of course you'd be absolutely fuming at what had happened especially Lando who's been absolutely brilliant this season um, and if he'd have made that corner Owing to what happened behind him with Stroll, there's a good chance he may have gone on to potentially win the race as well today. I mean, a few drivers could have made that claim as well. Charles Leclerc, another one. Um, obviously, myself a little bit disappointed about that, but it is what yeah, it is. Yeah, I was going to say, it happens. Mean, that, that, again, another 590-meter mm. race. I mean, yeah. it's just, it's just uh, you know, it, it's to me, it's it's I put it in the bin of it's it's such an unfortunate thing when it happens, but that's part of it. I would rather have the drivers going for those gaps making the moves, taking the opportunities when they come up, then to then pull back and take that aggression away. Um, again, maybe that's my Americanism coming coming through. Um, I, I come from the school of kind of, and, and when we were talking before, I said, Rubin is racing. That, I mean, it happens. And I would rather see, again, less legislation in the sport wherever possible. Yes, there when there's clear violations of the rules, pit stop stuff, um, safety violations, that type of stuff. That's stuff you got to throw the book at, no doubt. I'm not saying that, the, 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 you know, let's not get rid of stewarding or penalties or any of that. No, you can't have the the total opposite. But I think in that case, it, it's that's racing. I mean, I, I've, I've, I've seen many races where, where my hopes have been dashed on lap one and my hat goes flying across the room. It did today. As soon as I saw it happen, I went, oh, no, that was both of them. And then I saw Lando's wing under the car and it's sparking. And I'm like, I'm just adding up the, the damage in my head. And I'm going, yeah, that doesn't look real good. So, again, coming from a big Lando fan who's kind of gutted uh, with the result today. Um, yeah, I'm willing to let it go for, for the sake of the sport. I'm willing to let it go. No, that's, I mean, that's always a good assessment of it. And I think. There does need to be uh, some scope is there to try and find a better balance of this and how to officiate and legislate Formula One racing for the better. Because, of course, we want to see the hard fair racing, but I do think there has to be a curb on how much contact is allowed um, before we start getting to the realms of it becoming dangerous. I mean, let's not forget we're in a cost cap here as well. So that's also a big factor. Um, I think Lance Stroll's one was a bit more cut and dry. He, ironically, he tried to, he swerved to avoid uh, Esteban Ocon's Alpine that was just ahead of him <laughs> and then ended up sliding off off the track and into Leclerc's Ferrari, which okay. of course hit Ricardo and then set off that chain of events. So um, yeah. it's, it's funny how you look at that race and see how things panned out. I mean, Vettel got a terrible start. Um, but it turned out to be the blessing in disguise for him today. Obviously, what followed afterwards. But um, and, and Ricardo yeah. actually got a mega start 
because he went, I think, from 11th, I think he was up to maybe fifth or sixth um, when that whole melee happened. Mm. He was alongside Leclerc, I think, on the outside as well as Norris was. So right. it could have been an even better day. It could have been yeah. a brilliant day for McLaren and Ferrari, respectively, if things had happened differently. But, you know, that's racing. As I said, it happens. Um, let's go forward a bit, obviously, back to where we were with the uh, restart. Of course, the race complete, the track completely dried up and there was a bit of a gamble that obviously the drivers needed to make. Now, I think a lot of people wondering why Mercedes didn't call Hamilton in um, before the restart to pull on dry tyres because everybody else behind him went into the pits for the dry tyres. Was last season, if we cast our minds back, I believe it was uh, the two Husses that were called into the pits by their uh, engineers. And of course, they got penalties because the engineers compromised the race restart of the FI rules. I can't remember how the rules quoted, but they got penalties for that. So the drivers this year were responsible for making their own calls. So Lewis Hamilton wasn't sure what to do. And I think, Andy, would it be fair to say he was kind of in a lose-lose situation? Because... First of all, oh, I, I, you know, I think he's yeah. in a. Oh, sorry, sorry to cut you off. Yeah, no, I was going to um, say like first of all, he was in, he was the first car to get there, so of course he had to decide without any influence of any other driver ahead of him of what to do. Um, he was the first to approach those track conditions at any point, so he'd be the first to know if there was enough grip for slicks or not. He's first in the race anyway, so he's got the most to lose being on pole position, and. On top of everything else, the Mercedes garage, as George Russell pointed out in the post-race interview, uh, is the first one there. So it would have been an absolute nightmare with all the cars following behind Pitting to try and get Lewis into a position where he could start at the end of the pit lane in first because obviously the race hadn't restarted, so they had to take their positions again. Yeah, it was. I, I, I think that when I look back on it, it's it was always going to be one of those situations of do whatever the leader doesn't do. If If Lewis comes in, there's a good chance everybody else just stays out because they want to have Mercedes not be in the front. Um, if Lewis doesn't come in, which is what ended up happening. What shocked me was I expected like Ocon and a few other guys to come in. I didn't expect the entire field to come in after him and basically ending up with, with a restart of one car. I've never seen it. We've seen six at Indianapolis in 2005. I've never seen a restart with one car. Now I have. I didn't know that was possible until today. I mean, the meme material was just amazing. <laughs> I literally yes. seen some Some of my personal favorites were uh, me and all my friends that like Formula One, uh, which is a picture of Hamilton on his own on the grid. I think it was another one on F1 2021 lobbies online when the internet's a bit laggy and it's just you on the grid. <laughs> It's just like some of them were absolutely brilliant. Oh, and, I, um, I want a yeah. still shot of Hamilton alone on the grid, just just to have it, just to say that this was just an amazing moment. Oh yeah, Memes, absolutely. Irrespective, yeah. but yes, just an amazing moment. I, there is one on social media. I I don't think there's. I've seen one yet that says. Um, so I'm trademarking this now. If anyone does put it on social media after this podcast comes out, but um, I think I haven't seen one with the caption saying, "How am I going to tell my grandkids that Lewis Hamilton didn't win a one car race or didn't win this race <laughs> and he's on his own on the grid?" Yeah, so um, yeah, it's absolutely amazing to see. To see, it's funny because I kind of said to my brother who I was watching the race with that I've got a funny feeling Hamilton's going to go on and everyone else is going to dive into the pits because the track was bone dry. Um, so yeah, it dried out. That sun came out and it didn't rain enough. I mean, you kind of saw it. I don't know if you guys had a chance to catch the F three race that happened earlier that morning, but the and it comes on in this part of the country when it's still very very dark out. By the way, so. You have to be kind of a mega fan to watch F3 at 4.45 a.m. Um, but 
um, that had it had it had rained significantly, and that track dried out by the end of the twenty laps. So you could see you kind of had data points to say this track dries out fast because it was still very hot, uh, and then the sun came out. Yeah, no, I, I mean, it was quite funny. I actually did watch that race myself. It was quite convenient timing as well, because I think I was watching this morning, I was watching the uh, Olympics, the golf. I think uh, Schofler okay. winning the gold medal. And of course, they had the bronze medal shootout, which, uh, um, you know, that was always quite fun to watch. But then turning it over to the F3 race. And yeah, you're absolutely right, Andy. The, the, the heat in Hungary, and it just dries up the circuit so quickly as soon as the sun comes out. And I think that just caught everybody by surprise in the F1 race today, how quick that track dried out to the point where we wouldn't have been on the inters longer than, well, not that long at all, really. And we never saw the rain after that since. But of course, what followed was led us to this situation where we ended up with a race-long battle between Esteban Ocon and Sebastian Vettel. And at any point, Andy, did you feel that it seemed inevitable that Vettel was going to get Ocon at some point and win this race? Because we had Esteban Ocon a young driver whose best result, of course, second place in the Sakir Grand Prix last season. So, of course, he had been on the podium and he had some experience. Very successful in junior categories, Formula 3 champion in the same year that Max Verstappen was competing with him back in the GP3 years. Of course, you know, the uh, competition was quite heavy then. But he was up against a four-time world champion, won over 50 Grand Prix, one of the best drivers the sport has ever seen. Can you describe what kind of pressure Ocon must have been under and how impressed you were that he was able to deal with that to a point where he just had the race under control? Well, he did. I think his biggest advantage was the track itself, because this is a very difficult place to overtake. And if you're going to make a move, it, it has to be a move of precision. Now, of course, the guy behind him happens to be a guy who's really good at sometimes uh, precision in Sebastian Vettel. So to have that, and, and I actually do think the Aston Martin was overall probably quicker. Um, but it's about placing the car, hitting your marks, doing it consistently, not over revving. When did you ever see Esteban Ocon and, and the word lockup uttered? It didn't happen. So to, to be in that pressure cooker for right around 60 some odd laps, uh, once Hamilton comes in, I mean, it, it was Ocon and Vettel one, two till the end. Um, Alpine did the pit stop right. I mean, they could have fumbled it there. There were all, all sorts of opportunities. A couple of times, I know um, Ocon was coming up on some lap traffic. Yeah, he had blue flags, but Vettel took an opportunity to do some dive bomb moves. Just couldn't pull him off. But it's, uh, mega defending, mega defending, total full respect to Ocon. Because like you said, that's that's one heck of a pressure cooker. Mm, it really is. And it was a thoroughly deserved before, uh, win for Esteban Ocon under the circumstance. And of course, Sebastian Vettel as well. We can't forget how good he was today, especially, you know, there've been moments this season where I think we've seen hints of the Sebastian of old, you know, some of the races where he's performed rather well. It took a while, of course, for him to get used to this new car. He did such little running in preseason testing. So he was already on the back foot after a very difficult uh, ending to his time at Ferrari. I mean, how impressed were you with Vettel today? Because you could argue to a degree that, Obviously, other than the track itself, the characteristics making it very difficult for him to overtake Ocon in a probably a better performing car on the day. But that pit stop in the uh, the one pit stop they made um, later on in the race, there was a bit of a delay in that pit stop. That could have potentially been the difference because the undercut was mega. And I'd say if it wasn't for that, perhaps Vettel would have won today. Yeah, I mean, um, I for a guy sometimes that a lot of fans I know have started to kind of write off as almost being done when's he going to retire that type of stuff um I've said 2021 is the year of old is still good 
Um, we've seen it in the Indy 500 with Helio Castroneves, and, and we're seeing it uh, with Fernando Alonso in Formula One. And oh yeah, we're still seeing it every now and again with Sebastian Vettel in F1. Dude's a four-time world champion. Uh, he didn't do that. Um, he didn't get that handed to him. So, I mean, there's a t- still a ton of skill there. Uh, and it's nice to see Seb engaged, motivated, and happy to be where he's at. Yeah, absolutely. And I think on the subject of Sebastian Vettel, I think it's definitely worth mentioning how amazing he has been this season outside of the car, uh, just as much as he has been inside the car. Of course, he was summoned to the stewards after the race and given a reprimand for not removing his shirt before uh, during the national anthem. Of course, Hungary have been at the centre of some controversy over into some anti-LGBTQ plus legislation mm-hmm. that they've been trying to put through, which of course first uh, become uh, public during the European Championships earlier, this, uh, particularly when they were playing Germany and Portugal. And Sebastian Vettel, of course, wearing a shirt today saying same love with the rainbow flag on, of course, with the rainbow mask. I think he had the rainbow logo on his shoes as well. Very much hugely in support of the LGBTQ Q plus community so he got reprimanded by the stewards for not removing his shirt during the national anthem I think his quote was uh, I'm just reading this now I'm happy if they disqualify me for this they can do whatever they want to I don't care I would do it again now obviously this isn't a subject that a lot of people perhaps are comfortable talking about but I think for the benefit of this I think we should just you know give it a mention do you feel that in moments like this, Andy, when we have we're encouraging our drivers and these people that are role models in our society and from a sporting perspective that have this platform to be able to speak out for the right causes like this one, do you feel sometimes the FIA and F1 kind of shoot themselves in the full a little bit when they try to promote this mantra of we race of one as one, which of course they don't promote so much this year. They kind of remove themselves from that. But do you feel that when they're trying to do this and then certain actions happen like this today where they try to reprimand Sebastian Vettel for following that mantra and taking it onto new levels as you should be. It just seems like F1 aren't doing themselves any favors with the crowd because they're kind of sending us mixed messages here. Yeah. You, you can't give the drivers a voice and then pull out the rug from under their feet when they use it. I mean, it, it you either have to be all in on effectively all causes or none at all. And they've, they've opened the door to this. And I think it was the right move at the time. I mean, there's been tons of social upheaval in this country uh, over, over areas of race and um, LGBTQ issues uh, over the course of the the past, maybe even 10 years. And the progress has been amazing. Um, But at the same time, yeah, there should be, all, all you had to do was let it go. That's another one where it's like, okay, you knew this was coming. You gave them their platform. You gave them the voice to do it. Um, you can't be surprised when they use it. Mm. And I think they should be focusing their energy more on, you know, trying to get behind something like this. I mean, I can understand to a degree, um, and it's a very little degree at that much, you know, why they're obviously a bit apprehensive about trying to promote these messages that may come across in some degrees to certain people as a political stance, although I don't agree with that. I think it's a bit silly pushing a narrative like that. But at the end of the day, as you said, Andy, you're giving these people a voice to promote the right messages and support the right causes. And you can't, as you say, take the rug from underneath them when they do something that you feel that those that you're trying to work with don't agree with you. Not that I can understand why, but you know, that's, that's the world we live in at the moment. 
yeah, I mean, either cause, whether it's LGBTQ um, rights or it's Black Lives Matter or, or whatever it is, none of that should ever be politicized. Um, the fact that it does, I think, is just a, a problem um, that our world has to deal with at, at some point and, and agree to, you know, leave it out of those types of arenas, because when it does, when it's in there, all it does is get toxic and the message gets lost. This was nothing more than um, Vettel using the voice that you gave him and the opportunity to promote uh, rights for people. I have no issue with it. Mm. No, me neither. And long may that continue. Obviously, it's absolutely yeah. brilliant to see. And, and of course, it's summed up in a brilliant performance from Sebastian Vettel, which was kind of nice on a weekend like this to support that message. And obviously for him personally to do so well today. But, um, you know, moving back, of course, now to the race itself, Lewis Hamilton, of course, there was a period in the race where Lewis had made that second pit stop to put on a fresh set of mediums. Um, even though he was quite far behind, it just had that inevitable feeling like we saw at Silverstone when he did that thinking... After that first lap he did, I think he set a fast lap one minute 18 or something like that. I kind of had this sort of worrying feeling, think he's going to win this race all the way down. From I P6. thought he was going to. Yeah. If it wasn't for one Fernando Alonso, who you talk about, you talk about the, the rear gunners on Mercedes and you talk about the rear gunner at Red Bull. Um, Fernando Alonso played rear gunner especial today. Mega, mega job of just being in Hamilton's way using his racecraft, positioning the car, making it hard. Didn't do anything really overly dirty. I know Hamilton came on the radio a couple of times and, you know, tried to, you know, basically wave the flag to say, you know, okay, hey, you know, can somebody do something about it? But he didn't do anything bad. Um, it was respectful, hard, good, clean racing. And uh, I think it was because of Fernando's efforts in holding Hamilton up because you might be right, Adam, we might be looking at a Lewis Hamilton win. The pace was obviously there in clean air. Once he got into the dirty air, uh, it was another story. Yeah, absolutely. And I think it was Fernando's 40th this weekend, but he was very much in the generous giving mood as far as his teammates concerned. I mean, if we're going to praise Esteban Ocon for the victory, you're absolutely right, Andy. We have to credit Fernando Alonso with a huge assist for his teammate, which, of course, Esteban very much embraced him for at the end of the race. Again, much very, very beautiful scenes between the two of them for Alonso to acknowledge what a day this was for Esteban. Of course, the scene um, 18 years ago where Fernando Alonso won his first Grand Prix for the Renault team. So it's, it's kind of a nice way that that's all come full circle in a way. And for me, when I was watching that piece of driving from Fernando, the defensive battle we had with Lewis Hamilton, it was absolutely incredible. I mean, we talk about hard, fair racing. I think right there you saw on the limit what that looks like in its best form. It reminded me of that fight between him and Michael Schumacher many years ago at the Imola Grand Prix where Fernando was clearly not fast enough to keep Michael back, but somehow found a way to make that Renault as wide as a London bus around that circuit. You just couldn't find a way past him. And if it wasn't for that mistake that he made into turn one later on in the race, Lewis probably wouldn't have passed him altogether, let alone get onto the podium. And as you pointed out, Andy, that bought Ocon the crucial time he needed to maintain that gap he had, which eventually Lewis catching both him and Vettel on the final lap. But alas, it wasn't enough and allowed the two of them to keep their respective positions. So an incredible performance from Fernando Alonso. I mean, it kind of sums up Alpine in general this season. They started off very much at the bottom end of the midfield. You know, a lot of people think they're quick, but we're not quite convinced that they're going to be competing for the top three or four positions in the pecking order. And it's took a while for Alonso to get settled into this car, into this team and find his role as he did in the past with Renault famously. But now we see in both drivers, at least today, 
springboard the Alpine team now above Aston Martin and AlphaTauri in the championship. It's as an exciting battle as anywhere else on the grid right now, but the momentum does seem to be within that team. Do you think that they can continue this in the second half of the season? Or do you feel that Aston Martin and AlphaTauri can find what they need to find respectively to throw their hand into this battle? I mean, the fight for P5 is going to be another one. I mean, we've we've had the fight for P1. We've very well chronicled the fight for P3. But this fight for P5 just now got put on a whole nother level um, because each of those teams, it is so close. That's what's so incredible about it. It can, from a potential race win to out of the points. I mean, you're talking two or three tenths in qualifying probably every race going down to the wire and it's going to come down to, I mean, I say this all the time on our own podcast, execute, execute, execute the teams that can execute today, Alpine mega execution, 2.4 second pit stop for Ocon great pit stop for Alonzo Alonzo being the rear gunner uh, of old and, and making it incredibly hard on Hamilton. And by the way, the gap down to Hamilton was 2.736 seconds at the end of the race. So it one or two more laps and it's, we may be talking about a different result and it's because of that Alonzo um, teamwork today that it was able to happen. So the teams in that battle for P3, for P1 that can execute the best going down, the ones that don't hamper their own efforts um, are going to be the ones that are going to succeed. I mean, it's a, a, clearly advantage Alpine. I do think that this was a track that I thought they were going to do well because it's not as power dependent. And, and I think when, when you get to, to, to Belgium and, and to, to, uh, uh, to Monza, I think that's advantage AlphaTauri because of the Honda power. But after that, if it's, if it's a fair fight, I mean, the rest of the tracks are pretty much even, I think, for both, for both teams. I mean, AlphaTauri is quite an interesting one because they started the season, a lot of people thinking they had the best car outside Red Bull and Mercedes, and they never really capitalized on that in Bahrain. They just had a, a terrible race. Um, and this season, there's been a trend where AlphaTauri are kind of expected to be the team to potentially challenge for McLaren and Ferrari, let alone being in that battle with Aston Martin and Alpine. But as the season's gone on, it seems that they've not been able to capitalize on the opportunities and there's been difficulties getting both of their guys into big point scoring positions. I mean, Yuki Tsunoda, of course, who he had a bit of an up and down race uh, today, but of course he managed to get some points on the board, but he had that crash once again. Uh, I think it was in uh, the end of, was it practice or qualifying? I'm trying to remember the top of my head. I think it was, um, it was, um, it was the end of the practice. Yes. Pre-practice too. You're right. It was in practice. And, um, you know, and it was another incident for him, of course, where he'd caused damage to the car. And you're sort of wondering, are AlphaTauri going to get this together? Or they're just going to keep making errors? Or are we going to have to rely on Gasly trying to do this all by himself? So what do you think they need to do in the second half of the season to try and put this right? Because it seems that Aston Martin and Alpine are now building that momentum with both of their drivers to a degree. Of course, Alpine in a big way today as is Aston Martin with Sebastian Vettel and Lance Stroll. What do they need to do, AlphaTauri, to kind of turn this around in the second half of the season to get that P5? I think for that team, their theme needs to be, and they should like plaster it in their in, in their garages everywhere. Consistency, consistency, consistency. You know, you see flashes. You see, I mean, Gasly qualified uh, P5, which is a really good position um, and, and was probably fortunate enough uh, with all of the carnage today to, to, to maintain uh, a good position. Um, Sonoda, again, you know, again, just be consistent. You don't, 
Like that's a dude that you can just tell is trying to overdrive everything a little bit. And he's trying to like will the car to do what he wants. And it's just not doing it. I think if he kind of can listen more to the car, um, you know, everyone keeps telling him to calm down. I don't know that he has to necessarily calm down, um, but it's, but it's, it's, it's look at the situation a little bit different, get maybe more it's perspective for him because if he understands, Hey, I'm just, I have to let the race come to me a little bit. Um, but again, I, like I come back to, I circle back to, it's gotta be consistency with AlphaTauri. They can't flash on Friday and be nowhere on Saturday and nowhere on Sunday, or they can't flash Friday and Saturday and be nowhere on Sunday. It's gotta be about good, clean, um, consistent weekends for them. Yeah, absolutely agree with that one. Um, let's move over to the uh, battle for best of the rest between McLaren and Ferrari. A, a bit of a strange day, all in all. Of course, um, McLaren ultimately, I'm just checking the results again just to make sure. Yeah, McLaren ultimately scoring no points today, which has been, without doubt, the worst day for them this season. You know, they've been brilliant all season McLaren in this fight with Ferro. They really have. It's quite refreshing to see those two teams duking it out again. Hopefully in the future it will be for P1 and 2, not necessarily P3. But a day that could have potentially promised so much more for McLaren, ultimately ending up in them just basically toting up the damage bill on their car. Um, as a McLaren fan, Andy, of course, I'm not. I'm trying not to rub this in because I, no, I sympathise right. <laughs> with you to a degree for Ferrari. I'm going to get it but, later tonight when when uh, James yeah. gets on and, and wants to record with us. I'm kind of counting on James to do his part for the Scuderia. I doubt Deanna's probably going to join in the fun. <laughs> I'm not sure what John's going to do, but we'll have to wait and yeah. see. But uh, of course, guys, incidentally, if you do want to check out the uh, crew at Outlap F1 Podcast, I definitely recommend it. I'll leave a link in the description below. Of course, I featured on that, and it's a brilliant channel with some brilliant people on the show so definitely check them out thank you thank you very much appreciate that no no problem at all we're all in this big community together should definitely yep. uh, game recognizes game if you like um but uh yeah with, with mclaren i mean of course going into the summer break it's not a bad time to kind of reflect on this but excluding today aside of course being a disappointed day how would you sum up mclaren so far this season i think well if i go back to where i thought that this team was going to be like after testing um, I was encouraged the fact that they were able, you know, a lot of people, you, you get into the season and you forget kind of where these things came from. This is the only team on the grid that number one changed engines and number two used all of their development tokens in a part of the car that they probably wouldn't have chosen, you know, given, given development of everything else. So they were coming in kind, very much compromised. Um, they had a brand new driver in Daniel Ricardo, uh, who'd never driven a Mercedes power unit before. And they pretty much, because they only had Lando there, pretty much kind of designed that car around him, I think. And I think that's why you're seeing Lando be so far out in front. And you're also seeing Lando come of age at the right time. This was his third year in Formula One. It was kind of go or no-go time. He's gone. He's gone mega. He's probably even going so far as to overdrive that car a little bit. And it's been a tremendous first half of the season. today. Not so much, but again, I, as a McLaren fan, it is so fun to watch the evolution and watch the teamwork. Um, yeah, they're not, it, it is not the bromance of the Lando signs relationship anymore, but they're supporting each other and they do what they can for each other. And they played and they've played the team game. You've seen races where Lando's come on the radio and says, Hey, I, I need free air. If Danny can let me buy, I, I can do something with free air. And they let it happen. Um, they, they, they do a great job of taking the race kind of as it is in front of them and trying to be the, 
the racy, they, they usually go with the raciest strategy and that's the part that I love about it. Um, so yeah, I mean, it's going to be between them and Ferrari. There's going to be tracks where McLaren are heavy and, and really good. Like we saw in Austria and there's going to be tracks where Ferrari are, are going to be awesome. Like we thought we were going to see today. I mean, I had this one pegged as this is where Ferrari hot temperatures, slow corners. This should have been Ferrari's um, dream uh, setup. I, I'm still trying to figure out what happened after Q2 because in practice, they were really good. They were third and fourth, um, probably should have qualified better. But hey, it, it, you know, and, and again, the lap one incident, we, we, we'll, we'll never know what Charles Leclerc's race pace looked like. Um, but Carlos Sainz looks signs looked darn impressive um, for a good chunk of that race today. Mm. And, and it's quite refreshing, actually, because I think bigger picture is probably what we have to kind of consider when we weigh this all up, because right now there's three points between McLaren and Ferrari. It's clear as day that whilst the bragging rights for the Drivers' Championship is always going to be apparent, Lando Norris emphatically leading that at the moment ahead of the two Ferrari drivers who are on the same points, actually, I should mention as well, which is quite interesting. Um but it's the bigger picture of the constructors. I think that's where the fight is between those two teams. I don't think the drivers are too bothered about that too much. They want the constructors title. That's where the fight is. So, you know, we've had ups and downs this season between both teams. They've had their high moments, their low moments. McLaren seem at this point to be better at consolidating opportunities when they do come to them, especially Lando Norris, whereas Ferrari have had days where they could have done so much more, but have ended up tripping over themselves or been unfortunate. I, I think today is a great example uh, with Carlos Sainz's strategy. And on Saturday, of course, he had that moment in Q2 where he cost himself a chance at getting a decent grip position t- uh, for the race, ended up in P14. Ultimately, that didn't matter because it kind of kept him out of the firing line. Unfortunately, I was like gonna Charles. I going to say, it worked yeah. out in the end. <laughs> it exactly worked. It's a blessing in disguise. I mean, when you look at Ocon, Vettel, and Sainz in particular, where they started and where they finished, it's like, it's a good thing they didn't qualify better. I mean, Leclerc qualified. <laughs> Um, probably not as well as he would have liked, but in, even still, he may have still ended up in the carnage no matter what. It was just damned if you do, damned if you don't. So, you know, it's one of those where I think Ferrari have to kind of look at it for what it is. Signed, yes, he was disappointed not to get on the podium, but ultimately I think he would have took P4 if he was offered it. And Ferrari are much closer to McLaren. What interested me the most, though, and I must say does sum up Ferrari to a T this season, and has been for the way they've been for the last few seasons, is Carlos Sainz overruling the Ferrari team strategist during the opening stint to go longer because he wanted to give himself more options later on the race. And you've got to say, Andy, despite not getting on the podium, given how Carlos struggled on the hard tyres, he was probably spot on in terms of getting that strategy call. Yeah, we have an award on our podcast called Analysis Paralysis that we've almost renamed um, Mattia Bonato 101, um, <laughs> simply because when he, when he makes decisions, bad things tend to happen. So, I mean, good on Carlos for making that call. Um, and, and, and again, doing it at 200 miles an hour, I always, that's the part about racing drivers that always will astound me, that they're able to do all this stuff, take in all this data, fly basically a, a, a on the ground spaceship with all the buttons on the steering wheel and everything. And oh yeah, basically um, do their own race strategy at the same time. So brilliant by Carlos today. That was um, I think the spot on right move. It kept him up there. It kept him out in the clean air where the time they did pit him, uh, he was able to come out in clean air. He didn't get in one of those DRS trains. We saw the difference. Hamilton and Verstappen were basically together Hamilton got through that traffic, Verstappen didn't, and that's what happened. 
Yeah, absolutely. And, and, you know, you're right to point out how, you know, Ferrari have made these mistakes in the past and how it's always strange that they seem to trip over themselves or ruin their own races by these split decision calls. And I, I'm like you, I'm incredibly impressed by the drivers being able to have these incredible IQs behind the wheel and the racecraft that they obviously possess whilst they're doing 200 miles an hour. I mean, I'd like to see that sort of thing more often when drivers take the initiative of their own strategies. Of course, they're going to be using practice sessions to optimize the strategy so they know what race plan they should be running. And Ferrari, you know, famously have as plans all the way from A to plan Z. That's Ferrari. <laughs> and I've never known a race where uh, of recent times where Ferrari have stuck to plan A. I remember the British Grand Prix where I think they said to Leclerc, you're on like plan F or plan G or something like that. And I thought, well, first of all, who comes up with that many plans for a race? And secondly, how many of those plans at the British Grand Prix did Ferrari have, which had Charles Leclerc winning the Grand Prix with 10 laps to go? <laughs> Probably not many. Yeah. I mean, you, you can you can do your, your game theory all you want, but it's at the end of the day, again, Carlos took the race for as it came to him. Um, he wasn't looking in a book for a certain page of this was the scenario we found ourselves in. He's, he's, he read the track, he read the conditions, he read the race and, and who was around him as he was right and did it right today. So again, I give, you know, you're going to, at some point, Carlos Sainz has got to come off of that list of the most underrated drivers in formula one, because I, I saw it with McLaren in the two years he was there. The dude is the goods. If you can give him a car that's stable and he likes to drive it, it might be really good for Ferrari come next year if they get that car right. Mm, absolutely. And the recruitment, it must be said, has been spot on. I know there was a lot of questions over the nature more than the decision to uh, remove Sebastian Vettel from the team at the end of last season. But they've certainly done a brilliant job in selecting Carlos Sainz. And I think a lot of people probably saw this coming, given how impressive he was in his debut season with Max Verstappen at Toro Rosso. But it just took a while for that to come to fruition. And I think we're now seeing it at Ferrari. Um, When you weigh it all up, both teams, McLaren and Ferrari, have obviously had areas where they've been fantastic. Areas where they probably need to consider improvement on to the point now where there's literally nothing between them going into the second half of the season. And... You know, best case scenario, they optimize both of those flaws that they have and improve their strengths even more. I can honestly say this is definitely a battle that's going to go all the way to the very end of the season. I really hope it does. But Andy, of course, we're going to have our favorites on this one. So we'll just have to say, may the best team win, I suppose. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it, it would be nothing better. I would be totally happy if we had uh, four legit uh, constructors at the top of that field duking it out. One wins one weekend, one wins the next weekend. That's what you want. Whether it's it's Mercedes, Red Bull, Ferrari, or McLaren, um, I'm all I'm all in on that game. Sign me up. Yeah, absolutely. And and, and owing to the finances and the facilities that the teams have, you could say yeah, almost every team on the grid can throw their hat in. But these are probably the four, I should say in particular, that you would expect to be leading this fight and let's hope it does it really would be amazing if we had uh eight cars fighting for the drivers championship that would be really something special and it could happen next season so i have to wait and see um let's move on further down the grid an incredible incredible day it must be said for the williams team you know massive congratulations to the williams team getting a double points finish taking them to eighth place in the championship and andy i'm going to get into the drivers in a moment but what a day for them. I mean, this could potentially be the day where Williams confirm PA in the Constructors' Championship. Oh, absolutely. I mean, they overtake. I mean, the the, the battle with Haas is is over. That, that's done. They're done and dusted. They're clear of that. Um, they now are now 
above Alfa Romeo in the constructors, which is an amazing job, amazing drive for, for both uh, drivers today. Uh, I had alluded to Nicholas Latifi showing great racecraft. He did everything he needed to do um, to come home eighth place. George Russell uh, kept Daniel Ricardo behind him for a good chunk of that race. And Daniel was pushing and trying to get uh, further up in the points uh, when, when before his tires died at the end. Um, but mega defending from that. Uh, by the way, he also kept the, the world championship leader at the time, Max Verstappen, behind him for the entirety of the race. So, I mean, just amazing, amazing drive for Williams. I've seen some of the interviews with George Russell, the emotions. That stuff is real. Um, you, you cannot fake that type of stuff. When the mechanics are out there going berserk in the pit lane, it's because of all the hours that the wrench time that these guys and, and girls put in to making those race teams work. Um, for a team that's had so cataclysm at the top, new ownership come in, you know, nobody knew if they were going to be able to even be keeping their jobs at the end of last year, um, to have all that now come together with new investment. Don't sleep on Williams come these new regulations. If they get it right, they might be back in the fight for somewhere big too. Um, this is a team that has been in Formula One for a long time. They haven't forgotten how to win. And it was great to see uh, a lot of effort uh, get paid off today for that team. Yeah, absolutely right. I mean, I don't think Williams have probably ever celebrated a P8 and P9 as much as they have done today. And it was fully deserved. This had been a long time coming for Williams over the last couple of years. The struggles that they've had financially are almost to a point where they could have gone out of business in Formula 1 altogether. Of course, Frank, so Frank Williams and Claire, his daughter, obviously had to sell up their stake in the team to keep it going with Doralton Capital. But since then, they have been going on an upwards trajectory. And on a day like today, when it just all comes together for them and have had so much misfortune, when they've been in similar positions in the past, it's so great to see that finally coming together for them. And I really hope it translates in that trajectory continuing to rise in 2022. It's an incredible facility that the Williams team have. I definitely recommend visiting it for a tour. If you're ever in the UK, Andy, I definitely recommend it. It's one of the best facilities of any team in Formula 1. There's great people there and there's absolutely no reason why Williams can't compete for championships in the near future. That's such a rich racing pedigree, particularly in the 90s and the 80s. There's no reason why they can't. But, I mean, Nicholas Latifi started off the week in a tank. Not sure <laughs> how that happened. That's true. I'll be looking forward to his YouTube channel to find out how that happened. Um, the memes kind of made themselves. I was thinking Latifi's last first strategy, like, you know, shoot <laughs> blow up the rest <laughs> of the competition, serve 180 seconds worth of time penalties and then win the race. Um but uh, yeah, a very strange one. If you don't believe me, guys, check out social media and write Latifi Tank. You won't be disappointed. But yeah, he yeah. was by far today his best performance in a Formula One car, Nicholas Latifi, getting those points. But George Russell, of course, there's a biased interest for me as a British fan, a lot of British fans. George Russell, for so long, has been trying to score points in a Williams. Of course, he got championship points in the Mercedes at Sakir last season. But this is something that has eaten away at him for a long, long time. Will he ever be able to get points in the Williams? He comes so close quite a few occasions, not just this season, but last season as well. To see him get that P9 today and the emotion, as you said, it's so, so real. It's really, really amazing. You can't help but feel for the guy. I mean, the part that surprised me the most, Andy, um, was the fact that halfway through the race, when he was running in the points, he said to the Williams team, whilst Latifi was P3 in the opening stint on merit, he said, if you need to compromise my race to help Nicky, do it. And I thought, that's amazing 
team play from George Russell. But the other half of me is like, don't be crazy. You can get points yourself. Just <laughs> focus on that job and let Nicky take care of himself. He's a big boy. You know, well, so, I also yeah. wonder if he knows if Toto's going to hear that at some point. And the fact that it got played um, did more to, to help maybe his future career uh, than anything, any sort of result today. But I mean, still great to, to, to be able to be willing to do that. To, you know, to be in that position to, again, to be able to calculate and know who's around you while you're circulating. I mean, you know, you had Lewis today trying to figure out where he was half the time is yelling at his team, trying to say, you know, where the heck am I? Um, but to be able to keep your head about you when, when everyone else is losing theirs, that's what, and, and again, Williams took the, the open goal and they scored in it. We've seen tragically what happens sometimes when Williams gets close to the points and, and, and they find, I always sometimes use this phrase, new and inventive ways to throw it away. That didn't happen today. Um, so, again, full marks. Congratulations to both Williams drivers, the whole team, um, everybody connected to that team. Uh, this is your day. Live it up. Yeah, absolutely right. Couldn't have said it better myself. And uh, as I said, it, it could prove vital in the Constructors' Championship this season for them. On the topic of George Russell, and I'm glad you kind of brought up, is Toto Wolf paying attention to the radio message he mentioned about being a team player for Nicholas Latifi today? Uh, thankfully, he didn't come to that, of course. But are we, is this perhaps ideal circumstances for George Russell? What happened today? Because, of course, there's still a case of we don't know if Mercedes are going to pull the trigger and promote George into the Mercedes, a lot of us believe that it's a matter of time where it's going to happen. Potentially it could happen during this summer break where we get official confirmation, but on a day like where Valtteri Bottas, for lack of a better way of putting it, messed up and ruined his own race, albeit Mercedes did benefit by and large when you consider the bigger picture from it. Uh, of course it was unintentional. There was no way you could prove that Valtteri and would premeditate that. And then even if you could like, you're not. You don't know Valtteri. <laughs> you don't know Valtteri Bottas very well because he's not the sort of person to do that. But right. on a day like today, where it went so horribly wrong for him at the start, and for George Russell, it went so brilliantly well. Is this the potentially the the catalyst that was needed to swing the pendulum in George Russell's favour in terms of getting that seat over Bottas for 2022 at Mercedes? Well, he certainly did everything within his power and and with some luck without a, not in his power to have that happen. Um, you know, the flag totally, if the winds had shifted a little bit towards Valtteri after the British Grand Prix, it shifted way back towards George uh, today because, hey, he's in the points and Valtteri's car is in pieces in a Mercedes garage right now. They're trying to assess whether or not that engine's going to be okay um, and, and what else, you know, they have to do to put the car back together for the next race in four weeks. Um yeah, it, you really. If this isn't the catalyst for that decision, I don't know what other arguments George Russell could have made today. No, absolutely, and I don't think there is much more George can actually do. I mean, ironically, this was the first time this season George has not made it into Q two and beyond. He went out in Q one, which, to be honest, yeah, Mr. Was, Saturday yeah. turned into Mr. Sunday. Good exactly. point. Great, yeah, great catch. And you know what? You score the points on the Sunday, not the Saturday, unless it's a That's spring true. weekend. So, uh, yeah, it's uh, it, it's. It's kind of it's sort of all come home for George Russell today, and I'm really hoping that you know that the senior personnel at Mercedes do take this on board if they did still have doubts over whether George can deliver. And I think in more competitive machinery, we're going to see the best of George Russell. He certainly, 
upped his level at the Sakia race and we saw a different element to him, perhaps stuff that anyone who had watched him in the F2 or F3 series before when he was so dominant in the past would remember and perhaps an even newer level on top of that. So we'll just have to wait and see what confirmation we get if Mercedes confirm their driver lineup for next season. A lot of us think they will by then, but we'll have to wait and see what happens before the Belgian Grand Prix in four weeks' time. A quick talking point we should probably uh, on have on Alfa Romeo and Haas today. I'm going to start with Haas because it's probably a bit easier to talk about them. They're probably not expecting much. And in a day that was so crazy for them, they're probably going to be pretty happy with uh, P13 for Mick Schumacher, who, let's be honest, Andy, probably drove a great race and was probably happy to be competing with other cars today, even if he was being overtaken a lot. Yeah, you talk about racecraft. This was a chance for Mick to, to show everybody what he's got. Um, on a big stage with other cars that aren't necessarily his teammate. Um, so he did, I, I think, a tremendous job on race pace. Um, I know no one else will feel bad for Nikita Mazepin, but I kind of sort of do because uh, he kind of got a raw deal today. I, I don't think he would have turned it into much, um, given where I think his relative uh, talent level is uh, on the grid. But um Giovinazzi just kind of took out his suspension. He didn't really do anything wrong while he was trying to, to come in for the pit stop there. So, um, yeah, I think probably a, a decent day for Haas. I'm sure they would have loved to have, you know, thrown, you know, some sort of a, a, a joker into it and somehow managed to get points. But, you know, this is not a bad day for them. Um, and, and they are just counting down the days until the season ends. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, when you're in that position, Hey, you know, at least at least Mick got to have some fun today. The team was probably a lot more engaged than it normally is. Yeah, absolutely. And of course, the way the weekend started for Mick, where he had that off in qualifying as well, or practice free, I should say, not qualifying. Um, you know, it, it's been one of those seasons, I think, for Mick, where we've seen signs of potential and quality in his driving. But he has had moments where when he's got it wrong, he's got it really wrong. And it's usually ended up in a hefty repair bill. Ironically, probably given the way that he's got into Formula One, Nikita Mazepin's dad has probably been paying for. Um, <laughs> that aside, I do agree. I did feel for Mazepin today because, he, again, he was kind of caught in a catch-22, really, because Giovinazzi... Um, even though he was released at the wrong time, if he wasn't, he'd have been blocked by both Huskies because yeah, they were double stacking. So it's a no-win scenario. Exactly, I mean, it just set up that way as a whole horribly no-win scenario for yeah. those guys. And, and to be fair, you know the FI and the stewards are probably grateful they didn't have to rejig the order too much because, of course, they all had to take back their positions, which is why George Russell ended up potentially in a position where he would be in P1, but he had to let cars go past him because he'd inherited positions before the restart had officially got underway. Um, that was quite fun at the time, but then. I forgot about that when he started moving back and I thought we had a problem. Thankfully, he didn't and he was able to carry on. But uh, yeah, so not a bad day for Huss, all things considered. But um, Alfa Romeo, they will be looking on this day as a very difficult day, not just because they were unable to get some points, but critically that P8 that seemed to be theirs to lose. I can't see how they're going to get this back unless they have a similar day that Williams had because now it's gone. You've probably got to put this down to saying Giovinazzi and Raikkonen just didn't put themselves in the position to take advantage of the situation, and it's cost them perilously today. Yeah, Kimmy, probably with the most frustrating P eleven of of everybody, because there were so much there was so much opportunity um, for scoring points when it wasn't necessarily on offer. So, yeah, I mean, they the geo thing is is a pit lane thing. They obviously got slapped really hard by the stewards. I thought when Raikkonen got the penalty early, they did the smart thing. They just took it right away. Um, they tried to make 
you know, lemonade out of a lemon, um, but it just wasn't to be. I know Raikkonen was on soft tires at the end, and that's why he was able to get past Ricardo relatively easily uh, when, when Danny Rick's tires were dead. But uh, yeah, it, what could have been, and now they're back in P9, and they now have to start looking for opportunities um, to, to really throw some Hail Marys to try to get a point or two because, yeah, that P8 is just as important as, as P5 is for them. Mm, absolutely and given that they've only got two points they're going to have to you know at the very very least you know uh triple their current total to try and get anywhere near williams in this constructors battle and yeah it's these five margins that really it's not just you know bragging rights it's prize money as well which for alfa Romeo is so so critical for them probably more so than williams at this point and you know all that's being said we're going to be talking about driver transfer rumors over the summer break in a future episode but as soon as i got you here andy there's always a lot of rumours going on with Alfa Romeo. Kimi Raikkonen, of course, we don't know if this is going to be his last season. We haven't heard any indication that it's going to be, but a lot of us probably expect it to with the new regulations coming in. It seems the right time to move Kimi on, and there's plenty of drivers waiting in the wings for the opportunity. If Alfa Romeo eventually do not overhaul Williams and get that P8 this season, do you feel that this Alfa Romeo will react by bringing in an all-new driver lineup? Do you feel that Giovinazzi probably needs to get Alfa Romeo to P8 to save his seat? Well, for whatever reason, Ferrari really liked Giovinazzi. Um, whether it's his Italian background or they see something that I think a lot of very smart people don't necessarily see, um, they seem to think that it's there. This is always one of the more frustrating ones because I don't always understand why they just give him the benefit of the doubt. Like it's never been in question because you're right. I think... I think it would be fair uh, that he's had enough time in that car to be able to say, it's time for a result. You've got to help get us back into P8 or, or we're going to have some issues. Um, the Raikkonen seat, I think uh, this has got to be close to, to the end of, of, of his tour. I don't know what else he wants to try to accomplish with that team. And then that makes that seat interesting because let's just say for a second, let's just, just game it out for a minute. If Botas is out and it's not back to Williams and it's not a Russell Botas swap, as is rarely rumored, the Alfa Romeo seat becomes the best next position, unless you're saying the Williams seat is better now um, for an experienced driver to maybe still be able to score points given where the driver market is right now. So it's that Botas decision with Mercedes is going to be the linchpin that kicks off a whole ton of domino movement. Um, I saw the, 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 on Twitter earlier this week, the shot of, of the Botas in the Alfa Romeo uniform. Um, it, it fits and it doesn't fit. It fits because he's going to bring real world experience and winning attitude to a team that doesn't have it, but it's a Ferrari engine versus a Mercedes engine. And he's going to be back to basically F1 101 in a new car with new regulations and now trying to figure out a new power unit. That's a tough ask. I don't know if he's up for that. Yeah. And like many driver transfer specials or silly seasons, as we like to say in Formula One, there's always one transfer saga that tends to be the cork in the bottle and tends to be a domino effect that follows after that. It does seem that Mercedes seat is going to be that domino that eventually when it falls, the rest of the driver market probably will start to take shape for next season. But of course, we'll have to wait and see how that pans out. As a final four for this episode, uh, Andy, 
Um, I'm going to ask you, of course, what you plan on doing in the next four weeks whilst we wait for the next race in Belgium. I'm curious because I need ideas of how I'm going to occupy my time rather than tearing days off my calendar until I eventually get to <laughs> August 27th. But um, this championship battle now between Hamilton and Verstappen, it's we've now got to a point, of course, as I mentioned earlier, Verstappen could have felt that he could have been 50 points clear of Hamilton and now he's six points behind in a season where you'd have to take some doing to figure out where Max has gone wrong this season because there's not many opportunities or occasions where this happened. But to add extra caveats to this, uh, or extra elements, if you like, to this championship battle, of course, it's another day where Red Bull have kind of paid the price for collisions um, on top of everything else, where now both of their cars sustained damage today. Of course, they'll have to fix in a budget cap. Perez, of course, had engine damage after the race. Verstappen had to have an engine changed because of a crack that formed following the crash in Silverstone. Do you feel that, you know, despite the war of words kind of being for, finally cast to the wayside, I mean, with the protests and everything else that happened, um, do you feel now that, you know, what's Red Bull's next move in this? Because it's very hard uh, for them to come across as the victim in this situation, owing to stuff that's been said. And I'm interested to get a non-British perspective on this because it's been very much portrayed almost as if Max Verstappen drove into Lewis Hamilton rather than it being the other way around. Of course, I'm not, you know, I, you know, what it was, what it was. But um, what is Red Bull's next move in this? Because the cars are getting damaged, the engines getting damaged, the built, the damage bills are racking up, and they're still trying to win a world championship, which up until now they've been complete control of. I think for Red Bull, their biggest challenge and what what I think let Mercedes back into it, yes, the, the collisions totally, I mean, on paper, 100% did that. But Red Bull's mentality didn't shift once they got out to their lead. Um, we've talked about this many times on, on, on our show because the role reversal between being the hunter and the hunted well, now Red Bull gets to go back to being probably where they're most comfortable, and that's being the hunter, being the one taking the gamble strategy, um, making it more racy, trying to put pressure on Mercedes um, to, to do that type of stuff. When they got out in front, they kind of kept their hunter mentality, and that's why it almost looks like, you know, when they're complaining about the British Grand Prix and, and the whole turn one and the Alex Albon reenactment and all that, it's still them being the hunter and not the hunted. And they never, they never bothered to look big picture. Um, they kept the picture small. If they're going to win this championship, they have to look big picture. They have to look at occasional races that are damage limitation. Um, if Max backs out of that corner, even if Lewis gets that corner, and Max backs out of it, and he finishes P2, we're still talking about a Red Bull, one in the Constructors, we're still talking about a Red Bull, one in the Drivers' Championship. End of, sto end of story right there. It's, it's, you have, they have to take on a bit of the Mercedes mantra and look big picture, and not take every race as it's all or nothing. It's all or nothing. Um, but that's also why I think a lot of teams love Red Bull, because they do that. But at the same time, they're, you, you, you're not going to beat Mercedes because they're not going to go away. They, they didn't go away. This has been the most vulnerable that they've looked at. And we get to the summer break and Mercedes is P1 in the drivers and Mercedes is P1 in the constructors. I don't know how the heck we got there, but we got there. Yeah. Um, because, yeah. And, and for me, for Red, if, I'm, if I'm Christian Horner, I start going to the Total Wolf School of driver management for team management and everything else. And look big picture, look farther, look two, three races ahead, because that's how they're going to do it. 
if they're going to, if you're going to take it at, at, from Mercedes, you got to play it their game. I think Mercedes has got enough in the CV to tell you that that game works. Yeah, absolutely. They've got seven world championships to prove that that system works. And yeah, I, I totally agree. It's one of those where I find it interesting with Max Verstappen because as brilliant as he has been this season, I think by far this has been his best season in the sport. We're seeing a new dimension of Max that we always questioned when he was going to be in a position to win a championship. Does he have the nerve and the discipline and the mental toughness to really dig it out when he's had to. And he's certainly going to be tested in the second half of the season, given where we thought he was going to be versus where he actually is in this championship. And, you know, I've got to say, I'm really intrigued by this kind of concept of Max Verstappen doing perhaps what Lewis Hamilton had been doing up to a point this season, where he sort of looks at the bigger picture and think, is it really worth losing seven points? Is it really worth losing 25 points versus losing seven? Now, of course, I argued at the time, I think Max was right to go for that. And in a way, so was Lewis. But it just seemed that the both of them weren't going to make that corner at Cops. And of course, what happened happened. Max lost out big time. Lewis was able to recover after he took the penalty and get the win. Fair enough. You can't do more than that. In terms of the protest, I've got no problem with what Red Bull did in terms of trying to uh, get the penalty increased um, owing to the methods of the protest, although I find them absolutely hilarious when you think about it. I mean, I'll Poor read Alex ju- Albon. I'll, I, I, re- I do feel for Alex Albon, but a fair play to him. It's I, I'm never going to, if I was him, I'd never turn down an opportunity to drive in a Formula One car on a sunny That's day true. at Silverstone, despite what he was trying to achieve on the filming day if you like, as Red Bull were calling it. But um, I, I did get a snippet from the report that Red Bull sent to the uh, FIA when they tried to prove the simulation data that they corroborated did match up with what Alex was doing. My favourite part of this, Andy, I'm going to read this and from the quote. They basically said, we couldn't achieve the speed Lewis did on that line in terms of conditions. Obviously, it was pretty similar, and it was just a useful piece of data to reaffirm what we'd seen in our simulations. Now, for me... The funniest part of that is the fact that they admitted that they couldn't go as fast as Lewis around Cop's Corner, <laughs> even though they were driving a Formula One car that was two years older than the one as per the regulations. Of course, they could do as much testing as they wanted. And then, of course, we followed that up with today with the crash that Bottas caused in turn one. And a lot of people were cop- commenting with the caption, yeah, good luck to Albon trying to recreate that incident uh, during the <laughs> summer break. <laughs> testing for red bull but yeah that uh, would yeah. that would take some that would take some talent if he could do that if we could recreate that one i mean put alex Albon back in a car <laughs> if that's the case well this is it yeah i mean alex yeah. Albon has been tattled with a possible return to alpha Tauri next year and there's probably yeah. no reason why they can't consider it girls it depends on what happens with sonoda and gasly um but but that being said of course as you pointed out andy i think what's key in this championship now for red bull versus mercedes is Despite the fact that Mercedes have been on the back foot for a long time, they seem to have found a way, perhaps even beyond their own estimations, of putting themselves back into the championship battle. And not only that, now taking the outright lead in both parts with Lewis Hamilton, of course, leading the drivers' championship. For them, they're looking at this as, right, we're just going to go for strength to strength in the second half of the season. This is where we start to sprint in this marathon. Red Bull's case, as you pointed out, they probably need to forget about the the narrative or what's written in the media or who's the good guys versus the bad guys. I mean, everyone thinks they're the good guy in their own story and Red Bull probably feel the same in this way. Not say they're not, but it depends on who you ask and whose perspective. Mm-hmm. That's got to be cast aside now because if they're going to continue the way they've been in the last couple of weeks, they're going to come up second best. Mercedes know this. Total Wolf is as good as anybody at managing this situation. So for me, if they're going to come out on top, they need to reset, go again and 
drive and perform the way that they were the last couple of races before Silverstone because then nobody could touch them. But realistically, do you see that happening or do you feel that this is going to be more of a neck and neck battle between these two for the rest of the season? I think what you're going to see is it's going to come down to which track suits which car better. And then if the, if that becomes an evening factor, it's going to be both drivers. And in that case, I give it advantage Lewis simply because he's been there. He's done that. Um, I always, whenever anyone asks about what I think about Lewis Hamilton, I always say, look at the, the span of races in the year that he lost the championship. Watch the races after Malaysia in 2016 against Nico Rosberg. You want to talk about dominant, even against his teammate who ultimately did win the championship. Those Rosberg wasn't anywhere in the same picture. And yeah, Rosberg finished second in all those races and did what he had to do to win the championship. Fair play. That's how it works. But that when Lewis gets pushed, he's on another level. Red Bull have pushed him. We've now seen the level come up. Can Red Bull match that level of intensity? We've seen the games even start in the pit lane during the qualifying in Q3. Lewis ain't going to stop doing that stuff. So, um, Max, it's on you. You have to now show the mental fortitude to play in that arena. And, and Red Bull have to show the, the mental fortitude to, to, to look at a slightly bigger picture and, and realize that they're the faster car. All they kind of have to do is mark, is really just mark um, Mercedes. Uh, and if you go at it that way and not go with we're either first or last, Red Bull can still win this. It's, it's on. And that's what's so fascinating about it. I honestly don't know what's going to happen in the second half. I'm all here for it. No, neither do I. And I can't wait for it either. And I'll tell you what, Andy, you know, you mentioned what happened in qualifying yesterday with Lewis. Looked like he was backing both Red Bulls up. I mean, yes, even though the outlaps were similar times to other times, but we all knew what he was doing and it was perfectly legal. And to be honest, mm -hmm. I love that. It's like the equivalent yeah. of a phrase that I'm not going to say because I want to keep this PG, if you like. Um, <laughs> but we're using football terms. Um, and... Basically, I'm all for it. It's gamesmanship. It's absolutely fine. I want to see Max start using that a bit more. I think Lewis has now given him license to do that. I want to see Max get his elbows out. I want this to be right. a hard-fought championship, but in the right spirit, of course. And hopefully the best man and the best team wins at the end. I think that's all we can ask for as Formula 1 fans. As long as it's the last lap of the last corner at the last circuit, whether that's going to be Jeddah or Abu Dhabi, we'll have to wait and see. But I certainly <laughs> I was can't gonna say, wait. I, I want that, but that means Abu Dhabi has to be a good race. So hoping the I'm, let's yeah. hope for it. I'm hoping this the track season, layout anything changes. Is possible. Yeah. I'm hoping the track layout changes actually give us that. Because um, they do seem that, to be that's talking a, it that's up. That's a wonderful, fair point. Yeah. I'm just, but I'm hoping it doesn't go to Jeddah. I, I can understand if it has to because of COVID situation over then quarantine rules, etc. But I'm not confident that Jeddah's going to give us that exciting action. I just feel I like it's going to be a, a Valencia-type circuit, but yeah. with much bigger cars. Yeah. And and there's a whole lot of other stuff around that venue that, that makes me nervous. But uh, hopefully I'm wrong about all that and then everything goes off without a hitch. Yeah, absolutely. Before we do go, though, I, I was going to mention this because I did mention to you earlier that in the conversation, uh, just Bobby Epstein, obviously, for those of you who don't know, head of the operations at the Circuit of Americas in Texas, was that the circuit in attendance today? Now, the rumours have been going around that the future of the Japanese Grand Prix at Suzuka is under serious doubt. And of course, as anyone that's been following the Olympics will know, it's been quite a problem for the athletes and spectators where we've literally got no fans out there. Now, I wanted to ask you, Andy, 
is there any news going on about the race at the Circuit of Americas being a doubleheader? Because on the website at COTA, they are saying there's a provision at the moment where they're going to have a doubleheader, but of course the final details are being confirmed from what we understand. Is there any news being reported that perhaps could indicate that this is going to happen? So you happen to have a Circuit of the Americas season ticket holder on your show today. Um, so I'm usually the first one that gets kind of anything when it's official. Um, I have not been given anything official. Now, here's what I would tell you. The F1 Experiences site, which provides kind of the high end, um, want to spend 30,000 pounds and go you know, into the garages and, and, and meet the drivers and all that. They have on their website, the air quote, Texas Grand Prix and a spot right around the Japanese Grand Prix already on their website. Um, Bobby Epstein went over there probably for two purposes. One, they still got to get a deal done for Circuit of the Americas beyond this year. This is the last year of, the, of that contract. Um, so whether or not that race actually continues at that venue is still in some doubt. I think if they end up packing the place with 200 plus thousand people, it's a done deal. They're going to get it done. But the other thing is Bobby Epstein put his ha hand up and said, if you need us, we're here. Well, if Japan is in doubt and maybe Mexico is in doubt and maybe Brazil is in doubt, you've got four dates and you want to still have a 23 race calendar. Um, Circuit of the Americas is there. Texas is still open. Um, yes, we have some of the Delta variant going on in, in America, but it, it doesn't appear to be uh, curtailing anything sports venue wise. Um, the, the, the kind of consensus is it's a little bit kind of like you get your vaccine passport and that makes your ticket work type of deal. So they're going to still try to do it safe. Um, I still have plans to be at, at, at CODA for Circuit of the Americas 1. Uh, and I was just um, on our group chat on, on Outlap this weekend um, telling everybody, you know, hey, it, it, it may have a name. It may be called the Texas Grand Prix. So nothing's been official yet, but um, it, it's leaning much more towards that more and more days go by. No, and this good to hear. And of course, it's a similar situation to the UK, of course, as you would have seen. Um, obviously, we just had the European Championships in football. And of course, we had a massive crowd for the final at Wembley of around, I think it was a 65, 70,000 people to watch the game. So we're kind of managing it on the same scale as I'd imagine they are in the US. Um, but, you know, as much as I would hate to lose the Grand Prix like Japan, Japan being one of my circuits at Suzuka, favorite circuits at Suzuka, uh, Brazil and possibly Mexico as well, which would be a shame. I'm not going to lie. I'm kind of intrigued by the prospect of a second race at Kosa. And the Texas Grand Prix does roll off the tongue. It really does roll mm -hmm. off quite nicely. And the Americans, of course, like yourself, they love their motor racing. Um, and it, it's it's been quite a revelation having a circuit in uh, of the Americas at Texas. One of the best tracks on the calendar so we'll just have to wait and see what happens but it's certainly exciting and i certainly hope bobby's able to strike up a deal to keep that circuit on the calendar there's absolutely no reason why we shouldn't have a race in america especially with liberty media of course it's a market there that they haven't tapped into in formula one for a long time even when we used to have races in uh in, in vegas i think it was and i think it was detroit as well we never really tapped into that market too much except for indianapolis on occasion but yeah absolutely so it's good to hear we'll obviously have to wait and see what developments come forward. But um, I think that's probably all we've got time for, actually. Andy, absolutely fantastic having you on as a guest. Uh, of course, yeah, guys. This was, a, this was yeah. a ton of fun. I, I totally enjoyed it. it yes. Yeah, great, so, great to be here. So did I as well. It was great. It will have to have the others on for an episode in the future. But, um, you know, guys, 
absolutely, I definitely recommend checking out Outlet F1 podcast. Great people on there, as I said, Andy, Deanna, James, John, brilliant people on there. Definitely recommend checking out that episode. And of course, you guys are going to be recording your Hungarian Grand Prix review later tonight. So I'll certainly be looking forward to hearing that one when that goes live. Yep, yep. We'll be uh, on in the wee hours of the morning, but we always try to get our stuff out um, for, for what we call British breakfast. So hopefully it drops right around the time um, you all in the UK are, are waking up and, and, and can get your headlines. And sometimes we're, we're tweeting along with um, people like from the race and whatnot. When they're putting out their articles on Monday morning, we're posting our stuff. So um, we do it. We love to do it. We do it because we love the sport. It's, it's awesome. Uh, check us out, out at Outlap F1 Podcast. Uh, and you can also find Deanna's Relap channel. She'll have her, her uh, immediate quickie race reaction probably out sometime later uh, for in the U.S. this afternoon or for you guys in the U.K. Uh, later tonight. So check that out. That's at, at Relap F1. Um, so, yeah, check us out uh, and, and send us your thoughts. We, 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 put our, we, we put our fans' thoughts right on the show and we react to them. So we, we love the engagement. Absolutely. And they're very brilliant at doing that. I can testify that myself. Um, Andy, just for the benefit of our viewing and listening audience, where can they find you on uh, media platforms? Uh, you can find me on Twitter at AFP3626. Uh, you can find our show account at Outlap F1 Podcast. Um, yeah. So check us out. Uh, that's where my, you find my F1 rantings and ravings and all sorts. Sometimes Chicago sports stuff because... Uh, uh, I, I live in the, in Chicago and uh, we have a very rich sports history here. So if it's something non F1 related, that's usually what it's about. <laughs> Absolutely brilliant. And of course, guys, you can find Outlap F1 podcast on YouTube and of course, all major podcasting platforms as well, depending on if you're watching or listening. But uh, that being said, guys, thank you so much for tuning in. Really, really enjoyed discussing things with Andy on the Hungarian Grand Prix review. And unfortunately, that's the last race review coming in for the summer break. Four weeks off now, but of course, there's going to be plenty of content, including an F1 driver transfer special and maybe a retro episode as well and a few special episodes with a few special guests coming up this summer. So plenty of content for us to be getting stuck into. But until next time, guys, thanks so much for tuning in. Take care and we will see you in the next episode of the DNF1 F1 podcast. Podcast Network.